Good morning, church. Good morning. Man, just love worshiping with you guys. Grateful for our worship team that leads us into God's presence uh, each week. And uh, thankful that you're here. Uh, certainly, if you're a guest or uh, checking us out online, grateful that uh, you've given your time to worship God with us. The candle is lit this morning. Oh, we... We light the candle anytime someone gives their life to Christ through the influence of our church. And we've got five things to celebrate this morning. So much to celebrate. Uh, first, uh, Kevin, I think we announced it last week, but if you weren't here, Kevin, last week during first service, gave his life to Christ online. And so we thank you, Kevin. I'm proud of you for your commitment. Uh, Matthew Poland, uh, one of our students here, uh, was baptized last week after second service. And so we celebrate with Matthew and his whole family, uh, his commitment to Christ. Then Dennis came in the, the church office on Wednesday morning just uh, needing someone to talk to and looking for hope. And Bethany was able to spend some time with him. And through that conversation, Dennis came to uh, surrender his life to Christ. So we celebrate with Dennis. And in that same morning, morning Amanda called, uh, just looking again for someone to talk through uh, life with. And Pastor Matt was able to minister to her over the phone, present the gospel, and she accepted the gospel through a phone call. So we celebrate with Amanda. And then Megan has been a part of our sync class, our premarital counseling class. And last week, Jen prayed with her to receive the gospel. So we celebrate with Megan as well. Yeah. The, the gospel is good. It is powerful and it is the power to save us and to redeem us. And so I'm so excited as we continue to look at Romans and the power, the goodness of the gospel. We're in Romans chapter eight uh, this week. And many people say, you know, if Romans is one of the most important books, man, Romans eight is one of the best chapters uh, of all the Bible. And so Pastor Mark last week began the trek through Romans eight, looking at the power and the victory we receive through the Spirit, that we as followers of Christ ought to be people of great hope and joy because the very Spirit of God enters us and dwells in us as we conf uh, confess our sins and receive the grace of God. And that Spirit leads us into a life of victory. One thing I love about Romans is that as you read it, you can kind of see the Holy Spirit prompting Paul to imagine some questions along the way. And in fact, the letter addresses those questions and you'll see him kind of shift thoughts from time to time to say, hey, this is what I just said. And I kind of see that you're going to ask this question. So here's a word on it. And today that's what happens. In the middle of Romans 8, Paul takes a shift and you can kind of see, like, if we have this life, we have this hope, we have this victory through the Spirit, what do we do with the reality of suffering and pain and struggle in the midst of that spiritual and eternal victory? And so Paul is going to address that with a few uh, uh, scriptures here. You know, suffering, it, it's a part of the universal human condition. You either have, or maybe you currently are, or you will encounter struggle in this life. And that's not meant to be a downer, that's just to, meant to be a reality for all of us to accept. There is a tension between the great hope and victory that we have through faith and the reality of the struggle that we still live in until the day of glory. And so for some people, the suffering that we endure is a hindrance to our faith. You know, if God is so good and his plans are so great, why do bad things happen? Why do they happen? to me. 
It's important for us to think about this. It's important for us to have the right thinking and even a deep theology so that when we go through times of suffering, we can handle them with hope and endurance, which is what God's word points us to. In fact, here today, what we're going to read will give us a foundation for a deep understanding. It'll give us an enduring hope and it'll give us a deeper trust in God's character and his eternal plan for each and every one of our lives. And so as we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 30, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to flip it open or pull it up on your phone or we'll have it on the screen as well. But here Paul builds again off this idea that, hey, if you've accepted Christ, God's spirit is within you. And in verse 16, he says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of, God, of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have, but we hope for what we have not yet, or we do not yet have, and we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many believers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray for a second. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is life. It is the power and the goodness of you revealed to us. And Lord, today we just say we need your spirit to reveal your truth to us, to strengthen our hearts, to give us hope, to endure confidence in our faith. And Lord, all of it based on who you are, our good and loving and gracious Father. Thank you that you're here in our midst. Guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So this idea of suffering, obviously it's clear in Scripture, not always the funnest thing to think about or even teach on, but it's important for us to give thought to it because it's a human condition. Oftentimes we try to understand it, we try to cope with it, and we try to hold on to hope. And there are things that we can hold on to that aren't based on God's word or his wisdom. And therefore, when we go through seasons of difficulty, those things can seem like they fall apart. So today we're going to point to the hope of God's word.
It's going to bring endurance for us, no matter what we go through. But before we get there, maybe it'd be healthy just to clear some space in our mind. There's, you know, popular myths about suffering, even some that are unbiblical. Maybe we can just dismantle some of these in case any of us came in the door thinking these things to clear some space in our mind and our heart for what God's word says. And this is one of them. Myth number one about suffering. If we live well, we can avoid suffering. Like that sounds good. There's a part of me that wants to believe that if I do good and I do right, then I will get what is good and what is right. The only problem to that is that there's no biblical promise of that actually happening. In fact, out of love, God consistently tells us that in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome this world. In John 16, those are the very words of Jesus encouraging his disciples. He said, I have told you all of these things and I have done all of these things so that in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. Thank God that he came not to give us an easy life here, but to give us an eternal life of overcoming this world. See, Jesus, out of his love, tells us we can prepare our hearts for those difficult seasons. We can remind our minds to pursue him through faith and place our hope entirely in him so that we can be reminded that he overcame and so will we. Now, suffering exists, and we're not going to talk necessarily of why this morning. We don't have time for that, but we know that this earth has fallen, <laughs> And so we endure suffering because of that. We know there's a reality of spiritual warfare. As we pursue what is right, we have spiritual forces that come against us. We know there's freedom of human will. Others' choices impact us. But Jesus is telling us here, in all things, have, take heart, have courage, because I have overcome them for you. So trust in me. Suffering myth number two. Suffering always points us to some sin we need to confess. Sometimes we get tricky with our, our myths because there is some biblical precedence for this. There's passages like Psalm 119.67, which says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. In Psalm 34, or 32 David says this, when I was living in my sin, I kept silent and my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Sometimes it's dangerous if we just take a couple thoughts and we say, well, this is it. And we remove them from the rest of scripture. I'll be honest, sometimes God will cause things in our lives to put us flat on our back so that we can finally look up to the one where our hope should lie. But the Bible certainly does not say all suffering, all trial is a result of our sin and therefore a punishment before, or for that. In fact, as we look in Romans 8, the suffering Paul introduces us to has nothing to do with sinfulness or being wrong in any action or thought or word. In the Bible, the, the book that deals the most with suffering is the book of Job. And there God says of Job that he was the most righteous man in all the earth. And there is a mystery to his str struggle and suffering. Jesus himself, though he was completely righteous, came as the son of suffering to endure things for us 
because there was a future behind the cross that included our salvation. And it gave him the joy to pursue what God had deemed right, even when it meant he had to suffer. And so let me just encourage you in this. If there is a suffering, a trial that you're facing, and there is sin that needs to be confessed, God is loving, and he will let you know that. For me, as I discipline my children, I punish them when they know what's wrong, and I punish them for correction. I don't go up and just whack my son on the bottom and say, figure it out. You probably thought or did something wrong. In the same way, God works in our lives in the same way. If there is something we need to spiritually confess and repent, he will let our spirits know that so that we can be freed of that. It's, and if that is not the case, then there are times where we struggle and we suffer, and it's more the mystery of Job than it is the correction of Jonah. And so have faith that God is good, even in the midst of your suffering. Myth number three, we'll always be able to find the silver lining here and now. And we want that, right? When those dark clouds come, we want to see the silver lining. And more importantly, we want to experience it here and now. And there's even a temptation to take the first part of Romans 8 and say, okay, God, if you're working all things for good, create the good and do it now. Do it quickly. The struggle of this, though, is that we're putting God's redemptive work which sometimes will have a long arc into eternity on our own time frame, our own expectations. We're saying, God, we trust you, but you better do it my way and do it quickly, which isn't trust. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for breakthrough. We don't pray for hope. We don't see the hope in it. Rather, we surrender and we wait patiently for God's work. In fact, that's what Paul points to three times in this passage. In verse 18, he says, Take hope, the glory that will be revealed. It's not experienced now, but that glory is going to be revealed in you. And in verse 24, he says, we are saved in hope, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. If you can't see it, or if you can see it, it's not hope, it's sight. We're called to live by faith and to walk by faith and not sight. And so there are times where we are going to have to trust even though we cannot see it. In verse 25, he says, we eagerly wait for it with patience. There is a yearning that things are to come, and we have to trust God in the timing of those things. Let me just encourage you, just because you can't see what God is doing is not a lack of faith. Rather, oftentimes, it's just a recognition of our own human limitations. I think of even this last week and elders, we were praying for you and for specific families in our church. And one, one of our elders prayed the most profound prayer I think I've ever heard. He was honest with God. He said, God, everything I see doesn't make sense. I don't see the good in it. I don't see the purpose in it. But God, I know I can only see so much. And so today I'm praying to the one who sees beyond what I see the one who is working beyond what I can tell. And Lord, today I trust in your character and your work. And that's what we pray into. Man, what a good prayer. Like there is hope and it's, it's happening. God is doing his good work, but sometimes we're limited in what we can see so we can pray into what we cannot see. There's hope here in this word. And so what hope does God give us in suffering? What hope does he give us as we endure this life? I think here in this passage, we're going to look at three things that God gives us so that we can stand firm 
we can have faith and we can endure anything that comes our way. The first is this, God is using all things to make me more like Jesus. God is using all things for good and that good is to make me more like Jesus. Verses 28 to 30, this is what is written for us. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, they may, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. It's tempting to just look at the first part of verse 28 and say, okay, God, do something good right now. Change my circumstances right now. But the good purpose God has planned in each and every one of us is to make us more like Christ. And sometimes that molding happens best when we're pressed by life and we surrender more fully to him. God's purpose for us is to become more like Jesus. So trust this, that in the, at every moment, God is working toward that end in your life. That painful chapter in your marriage, that setback at your work, that chronic illness, God is using all of these things to help you become more like Jesus. And there will come a time if you submit fully to God in faith that you'll see how those painful chapters, the heartaches, the tears, the disabilities and disadvantages and disappointments, even those seasons of boredom and loneliness, those were all used by God for one purpose, and it was to make you more into the image of Christ. There is purpose in our pain. So instead of only asking God to help us get out of trouble, we can pray, God, what do you want us to get out of this trouble? How do you want me to become more like Christ? And we can trust that. We can trust that that's the work he's doing because we know that he is sovereign over all things, that he will finish what he started. And that good work he began in each and every one of us will be complete. Verse 30 says that. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God has promised this work in us to make us more like Christ. And that will reach its fulfillment when we are glorified in heaven. So while we wait, we wait with hope. While we wait, we surrender fully. While we wait, we fix our eyes on, what, on the things above, on eternity to give us strength. Now, I understand that might sound easy for me to just say, but how do we actively make that happen in our life? And for me, worship is how this becomes reality in my life in a healthy rhythm. Even this week, preparing this lesson and walking alongside of you, who I know so many of us are going through difficult seasons, it can get overwhelming. But when we turn to worship and we enter God's presence, something about our, his spirit within us and his presence around us, it can do something that we cannot accomplish on our own. We can search for understanding and meeting under our own will and power, but that is all nothing compared to just a few seconds in his glory and in his presence. And so let me encourage you, if you are in a season where you are being pressed, you are worried, turn it into worship. Seek God through worship, pour out your love to him through worship and remind your soul what is true. And the truth is 
that he is in control. He is going to make all things right. He is going to help us become like Christ here in this earth and ultimately in heaven. And that's the second thing that, got, that we're pointed to here in this passage, that my story ends with the redemption of my body. My story ends with the redemption of my body. This is the great hope of salvation we have. The hope that lies before us. Praise God that one day all things are going to be made new. The physical redemption of both heaven and earth and our bodies included. Are you longing for that day? Can I get an amen? amen. Like, the Bible says that we groan for it. Anybody wake up groaning this morning? Ready, eager for the redemption of your body? That's the hope Paul points to. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth. Purposeful groaning. There is new life coming right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is where our hope is found. The promise that though we taste and see in part the goodness of God in his kingdom here, the fullness of his presence, his love, his renewal, his redemption awaits us in heaven. That day where our bodies will be redeemed and not just brought back to like a youthful energy or vitality, but glorified into new resurrected bodies just like Jesus. I'll be honest, sometimes I struggle to comprehend this. Like it's beyond what I can imagine. But Paul says in verse 18 that it's going to be so glorious that even the painfulness of the worst pain here can't, or can't compare to the glory that is ahead. In Daniel 12, 9, it says that we will be glorified like the sun, the S-U-N, sun. It'll hurt our eyes to see glorified bodies, much like Paul encountered with Jesus in, on the Damascus Road in Acts. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We are saved into a hope beyond our own capacities. God has given a, us a glimpse of it, but we can't comprehend all the glory that is awaiting us. And so Paul is saying, in light of that glory, what we experience here, even the worst things we experience in this life are going to one day seem like light and momentary afflictions. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, he says it this way. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now here Paul is not trying to minimize our pain at all. He's not making light of our pain. In fact, he knew pain. He knew persecution. He knew abuse. He knew chronic illness. He knew starvation. He knew abandonment. He knew wrongful accusations. And he would one day know what it means to be a martyr for your faith and give his own life for the cause of the gospel. 
What he was saying, though, was that compared to that glory that's ahead of me, I'll look back at all those things one day and see them as just light and momentary, a dot compared to all of eternity. And that's our assurance, friends, that there is not one second of our suffering that is wasted. As he says there, it's achieving for us an eternal glory. Not one thing happens in your life that the goodness of God will one day or will not one day transform into glory. One day you'll be able to look back at all the things and say, praise God, I now see what you were doing, how you were carrying me through all of it. You know, John Piper, he's a pastor and an author speaking on Romans 8 and especially this idea of the purpose even in our pain. He says this. Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is it light in comparison to eternity in the glory there, but every second of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, it was not meaningless. God is doing something with it. Of course, you can't always see what he's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When you lose that person you love dearly, when you get that terminal diagnosis, when you endure unimaginable tragedy, don't say it's meaningless. It's not. It is working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, don't lose heart. Take these truths to, uh, of God's word and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself. Remind your heart and your soul of their truth. Get alone with God and preach his word and sing songs of truth so that you might have the confidence to know that he sees you, he cares for you, and he is working all things for his glory in your life. See, that truth that forces us to take a shift in our perspective, to raise our eyes above what is here and now and to trust the God of all of eternity. And I know that shift is difficult for us, but that shift allows us to endure what we experience on this earth and to maintain hope in our eternal loving God. That shift of perspective, it brought to mind an experience I had when we we're doing student ministries about 15 years ago. We had an event in our community called Pure Fun. It was an opportunity for us to get into the schools and just present the gospel to our community in a really neat way. And every year we would bring in an artist or a speaker to present that message. And oh, quite some time ago, Eric Samuel Tim was the artist we brought in. I knew he obviously created something and he spoke, but I had no idea of who he was or what he did. And I remember sitting at the first Pure Fun event as he began to paint on this canvas. And I've, I've got a picture of part of his painting. And I remember sitting there thinking, what in the world is this guy creating? <laughs> and maybe we got a deal. <laughs> like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he was half price because I don't know what he is painting. I can't see it. But as he continued to work on it, he came to a point where he, he grabbed the canvas and he flipped it. And this is what it revealed. Perspective matters. There are times in our life where it feels like chaos on our canvas. But know this, God is our good father, the master artist who is taking that chaos, not that he causes, 
Sometimes that chaos we just endure, and he is making a masterpiece out of it. He's making it all into the image of Christ in and through us. That perspective can give us hope. So if you are in a season of life where it just feels like chaos, know that God sees you and he is working even in ways that you cannot see or know or experience. But you can have hope in the fact that he is working all things for good. The third thing that this passage points us to, what do we do in the meantime while we're waiting for that glorious encounter with Christ? It's this, in the meantime, we can trust that the Spirit intercedes for me. We can trust that that Holy Spirit, which is in me, also intercedes, prays for me on my behalf to our loving Father. This ought to bring as much encouragement to us as that last promise. In 8, 8, 26 and 27, Paul says it this way, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit groans for us. What is he trying to tell us? And Paul uses that word grown to match the image of what creation is doing. That There is an eager expectation for this new life and new birth. And until then, the spirit groans within us. I think it shows us two pictures of what that spirit is like. First, that that spirit is emotionally connected to us in an intimate way. That God's spirit feels our pain when we experience pain. Knows how to pray for us perfectly. I think of a scene in Jesus' life, the story of Lazarus. Maybe you've heard of it. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, falls ill and then dies. And throughout the whole story, Christ is calm like, hey, something good is going to come from this. And that good is that he's going to raise Lazarus physically from the dead. He knows the plan all along, but even as he gets to the tomb and he's surrounded by a family that has hope yet is hurting, the shortest verse in the Bible says that Jesus wept. Even in the hope of what was to come, he was emotionally present with the people who loved him enough to weep. Know that God sees you. And if you're in a season where you have that ultimate hope, but it hurts, he knows that. And he's interceding for you. He's praying perfectly for you, for strength, for wisdom, for understanding. What great gift that it says he prays perfectly in accordance with God's will for us. Even when we're in a season where we don't know how to pray, his spirit groans inwardly for us. Even when we're in a season where we're walking alongside someone and we don't see it, we don't know what to do, his spirit is working in us and through us. Take great hope, not just in the promise of heaven, but in every part of this life, his spirit sees you and intercedes for you perfectly the way you need, no matter what you are going through. And we can be confident as he ends the passage again in 29 and 30, that good plan that he began in you, he will see through completion. We can trust in his character that he is sovereign over all. And Paul again shifts the next part of the section or this scripture uh, to that hope that we have. And that's what Matt will be teaching on next week as we finish Romans 8. 
But let me just encourage you in this. Maybe a couple words, a couple thoughts based on where we're at together. If you're going through a season of pain, you don't see the good coming out of it. Can I just convince you to withhold judgment? Don't say it's meaningless. Don't say God can't use it. But God, what, what, but rather what God is doing may only be revealed in eternity. So have your hope in that. For now, seek the will of God. Pray for healing, pray for understanding, pray for wisdom, but know that the eternal plans of God for your life will not be shaken because he will bring you into glory one day. That song that we just sang, good plans, whether we're in deserts of despair or gardens of grace, I will trust you. Lord, as your goodness and mercy follow me, I will not fear because I will be found in the house of God. Allow him to bring strength into your life through who he is. Second, if you're walking with someone through pain, take a clue from the Holy Spirit here. It's not on you to always explain everything, to bring purpose to everything with your own understanding. Sometimes the greatest gift you bring is just your presence. So lean into the Holy Spirit. If there's a word of encouragement, he wants to speak through you, speak it. But if it's silent, if it's groaning, do that as well. Pray and weep and rejoice and hope, but know that the Holy Spirit in you will lead you to each of those things. And finally, we just say, if you're hearing this word and you want this hope, you've, you say, hey, that sounds great, but you've not surrendered your life to Christ. These promises are reserved for those who've actually accepted the grace that Jesus brought accepted the fact that he is God's son who died on the cross for our sins to redeem us and can actually set us free from sin and death and give us an eternal hope. So if you've not made that step of faith, as I pray today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I just encourage you, do not delay. Take that step. God is calling you to it. If you feel it in your spirit and in your mind, you know that that is true. So let's pray together. Loving God, we, we thank you for the truth of your word, God, that it gives us hope to endure. Though we just humbly say we trust in your love, your grace, your sovereignty and power over all creation. We trust in your goodness that you somehow can use all things in our lives to help us become more like Christ. We trust in the promise, the certainty of our future glory Lord, the very good thing that you began in us, we trust that you will see it too through completion. And that completion is when we are seeing you face to face in heaven. So God, we thank you that your spirit is in us, that it affirms the truth that we hear and see in your word, that it constantly intercedes for us perfectly according to your will. Help us to dwell on those truths, to walk in victory and power through your spirit, even in times of struggle or suffering. Lord, many of us today, we confess, we believe we want to walk by faith, but when our experience, our feelings, our faith doesn't seem to match the hope that we have in you, God, we need your help. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our doubt or our fear. Or through your spirit, would you help us to walk obediently, faithfully, and full of hope in our our lives. 
Lord, as we want to just offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, Lord, continually worshiping you, Lord, would you fill us with your truth? Thank you that your truth is that the gospel is powerful and good. And Lord, that today, some watching online and some here today, Lord, this is the day where they're going to say yes to that. If that's you, I just encourage you, say yes to God. You believe in the truth of the gospel. You, You want to receive that for yourself, for the forgiveness of your sins. Ask God to fill you with his spirit to affirm that you are now a child of his and surrender yourself fully to his will for your life. Lord, we want to be a people of hope. We want to be a people of joy. And we know the only way that can happen is through your good work in us. And so, Lord, we just collectively surrender ourselves to that work, your Holy Spirit in us, interceding for us, but also giving us strength to endure hope for tomorrow. Lord, we thank you that in all things we can trust that you are doing something good, even when we can't see it. God, because that is who you are. And we look forward to that day where we all get to walk with you, see you face to face, where death is no more, where sickness and disease is no more, where we experience and encounter what the new heaven and the new earth and our new bodies will be. Lord, help our eyes to stay fixed on things that are above and to guard our heart when we want to doubt or waver. We thank you for that work in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, are you thankful for the hope that God's word gives you? Why don't we just thank him, tell him. As well, I encourage you, if you said yes to God, if you received him or you you have questions about what that means, Chase and Melanie are at the yes table. They'd love to talk with you, pray for you. As well, some of our pastors, our elders, our leaders, we're going to make ourselves available up front as we close service. It would be a privilege to pray for you. Know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, but man, what a great privilege we have in praying for one another. And so you're welcome to come forward and receive prayer. If not, we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.